0: Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast, TCC, a home for you. All right, what a great day yesterday. Uh, By the way, did you guys get your cross done? I'm two for two, baby. (laughs) If you weren't able to do your cross, I don't know how else to tell you this, you're just not as good as me. Um, There's extras if you need them in the front lobby. Um, Yesterday was absolutely incredible. It was the largest egg hunt that we've had. And I got to tell you this, it didn't start out that way. You know, by the way, I got to thank you guys. I must have gotten 450 emails from, and texts from everybody through the week. Pastor, have you looked at the weather? No. We got the biggest event of the church. Nah, who needs the weather? It's outside. Nah. So we're here at seven in the morning yesterday with the elders, and we're praying. And as we're praying, I mean, we do this every time we do big events. we prayed for 40 days. We've concentrated prayer. How many of you know that prayer is the gasoline in the engine of the church? You pray and God moves. So we were praying and it's raining. And I was like, Lord, man, I don't know what to do, blah, blah, blah. What do we do? And I, I felt God speak this to my heart. Don't worry, I have a plan. And I'm like, okay. Now, how many of you have ever encountered sometimes God's plans don't look like yours? Uh-huh. So it's raining and I'm thinking, Lord... I hope your plan has in it an arc because we're going to need it because of all the water that's happening. He said, trust me. I said, okay. So we went through all of our stuff and as we uh, were preparing, by the way, what you saw, we had two sessions just like that. We had so many people, we had to do it twice. Um, so all the, all the kids you see that ran for those eggs, that happened twice. Um, so as we're getting ready, it's, it's kind of looking ominous and it's pretty looking crazy. We're getting toward the beginning, about a half hour, from, actually 45 minutes of the first session. And I happen to walk over here and I see families lined up along the side of the building, waiting to get in. First service, amongst the, the drizzles and stuff, people, it was amazing. And, and second service was blue sky, or the second event, event thing was blue skies. And it was absolutely incredible. I had an encounter with a lady after the first session and she had, she's great, she had a kid that was screaming, ah! And her hair was wet. You could tell she had been, you know, fighting the fight and she's losing. You know what I'm talking about? And I went up to her and I said, you having a good time? And she looked at me and she started, she, her eyes got full. She goes, thank you so much for doing this. She goes, we couldn't have a better time. And I'm thinking to myself, if that's a good time for you, I'd hate to see a bad time. So two things happened yesterday, beloved. The first was this. We partnered with Jesus and we did what he asked us to do. He said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yesterday, Trinity Community Church, we loved our neighbors extravagantly. And that's beautiful. Thank you. The second thing we did is this. We gave God an opportunity to move in supernatural ways in people's lives. People yesterday moved from death to life because you gave opportunities for God to do that. Some of you prayed with people. Some of you spoke with people. Some of you actually prayed with people to know who God is. Some of you prayed for people to be healed. Over the next few two or three weeks, we'll talk about the testimonies of some things that have happened. All that happens when you make room for God. And you did that. So Trinity Community Church, well done. You did a beautiful job. Give yourself a hand. Now along with that, don't forget our job is not over. Uh, we have the way coming up. You know, I love the Seder thing. We have this great Seder meal. Sorry, no Seder for you. Like the soup Nazi? <laughs> Take it right away. We have Good Friday stuff. It's going to be amazing for that Thursday and Friday of the way. If you've never been through it, it's incredible. It's a great opportunity to invite your friends and your neighbors, especially those that are Orthodox or Catholic or any of that stuff. They'll love, they'll love it. Then Easter weekend is going to be incredible. Don't forget. I've had people ask me, so, Pastor, what are we doing different on Saturday night than Sunday? Nothing. It's three services, so all of the stuff we're doing on Sunday, the same thing on Saturday night. But we need your help with this. Um, we're expecting three to 400 people here Saturday night. We need your help. I want you to, to, to think about this. I'd love you to serve a service and attend a service. Right now, we need help with kids' ministry on Saturday night. They, they just Their ranks are a little thin. So I want you to pray about going down and, and helping the kids on Saturday night. You won't die. How many of you, if you have a tetanus shot and a strong, willing spirit, children's ministry is for you get it done. All right. Um, I was excited, uh, or I am excited about where God's taking us next. Some of you know this, you know, every year when we, when we sit down and we create, you know, we pray, we seek the Lord, and we create a pathway for our church. You know, what, what does God want to do in Trinity this year? And we break those, that pathway up in themes. Last month's theme was, was rooted, and we talked about all the things about what it means to be grounded in our faith. This month, we start a brand new series called Momentum. What it means for us, you and I, to move forward in our faith. Um, and I'm excited. And I want to encourage you. Today, if you, if you followed online this morning, or if you heard whispers as you left, you could, you could kind of tell today was a pretty impactful service. Um, people were here in the front uh, talking to Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus can fix something in your life in a moment? It takes us years, but the Holy Spirit could fix it in a moment. Um, so I want you to be, have you, let your hearts be open today for what God wants to do in your life. I remember uh, a few years ago, how many, how many parents do we have in the room? How many of you got more than one kid? If you're a parent, you got more than one kid. I think one of the beautiful things about, about parenthood, especially with that first child is you get to uh, experience and discover things also as a parent, as your kid grows, right? We don't know what we're doing. If we knew we were doing, you know, we'd have kids before, but we don't. I remember the first time, I think we were in a Wendy's and Ty was small it was the first time that I had my, an, an encounter with somebody that questioned my parenting style. And it revolved around a French fry. It did. Tyler was eating a French fry. And a lady came to me and she said, sir, your son is eating that French fry wrong. I said, okay, well, how should he be eating the French fry? Well, you understand, she goes, you have to cut the French fry up in little pieces. He's sucking and sucking on the top. And this is not good for his little mouth. I said, well, ma'am, thank you very much. She turned around, she left, and I gave him another French fry. I didn't cut that thing up at all. In fact, if, I, if, if memory serves me correct, I think I threw a French fry at her. Tell me how my kidneys eat a French fry. I'll dip it in a Frosty. How's that now, huh? But one of the joys of parenting is we get to follow along with our children. As they, you know, encounter new things as a child, we you know, encounter those new things as a parent. I remember with Tyler, Tyler, you know, he was probably about 11 years old, maybe 12 years old. And we were out in the mountains. We're up in Guanella Pass, and we were ATVing. There was about six of us. I was riding around, and Tyler's on the back, and I still remember we had all the mountains, the snow-capped mountains around us. We're having the time of our life. And I remember as we're riding around having having good fun that day, he taps me in the shoulder, and he goes, Dad, he goes, do you think maybe I could drive? Now, you know, that, that's a moment. He'd never asked to do that before. Of my children, Tyler was the most risk avoidant child that I had. You know, for him, he'd, he'd look at stuff, he's very intelligent, and he'd say, that looks a little dangerous, I don't know if I wanna do that. His, his phrase as a kid was, that looks too risky. Now, Tori was the opposite, I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> Tori was like, I can jump about 10 feet, that's about 20, let's give it a whirl. So I thought to myself, this is a good opportunity for my eldest son, To kind of take the helm and see what happens. I said, Son, I think we can make this happen. I said, Why don't you sit in the front, dad will sit in the back, and everything will be fine. So I don't know if you've ever been on like a quad, an ATV, doesn't have a throttle like this, has a little thumb throttle. So we're zipping around on a beautiful trail, and we're moving at a pretty decent rate of speed. And, you know, it's my job as a parent to look out for danger. So as we're riding, I look and I notice ahead there's a little ravine. It's not very big, but it's, it's enough, big enough to know that it's there with this little like dirt bump. And I thought to myself, this could be a potential problem. So I, I, I just tapped Tyler on the leg. He looked at me and I pointed ahead, and we, we communicated in that moment without using words. The ravine's there, be ready. Now, what I did not communicate well was how we were to, we were to approach the ravine. Somewhere in our communication, my, my tap on his leg to say, have caution, slow down, let's go around it, he interpreted that as, let's go faster and see if we could jump it, <laughs> like they used to do on the Dukes of Hazard or the Fast and the Furious. So he laid on that thing, and at that moment, I realized that we had a failure to communicate. And I, before I could get him to stop, I remember the sky being very blue, <laughs> the bluest sky I'd ever seen. I felt weightless as I, as I flew through the air. You see, I had a moment of decision. As we're zipping on this thing, I could either hold on to my son, and we're going to fall off this thing together, or I could do what parents should do. You put this, the kid first, and you know, the words of Disney, I let him go. I let him go. I remember hitting the ground with such force, all the air came out of my lungs. I laid there, and I peeked my head up just to see him driving off in a cloud of dust. I think I even heard the words, yee as he rode off. So I laid there like a slug for about a minute. One of my buddies who was behind me, Steve, he came up and he goes, man, he goes, dude, are you okay? I said, yeah, I think I'll live. He goes, good, he goes, that was awesome. (laughs) It didn't feel awesome. I learned that day what momentum was. This is the definition of momentum. A measurement of mass in motion. I was the mass that was in motion. The strength or force gained by motion or by a series of events. The series of events was my son riding that stupid ATV and hurling me through the air. Now, here's the, the, the funny thing about momentum. Do you know this? God created all of us to have faiths that were meant to be in motion, not to be stagnant. Your faith was never designed to stand still, your faith was always designed. To have movement and force behind them. If you have a faith that doesn't have any movement, action, or force behind it, you know what we call that? Dead. It's dead. And God does not give us dead things. He raises dead things to life. He's a God of life. Now for us as believers, in order for us to have momentum, you have to have a start. You have to have some type of beginning, some type of divine beginning. So, what does it look like for us today to take that step? To step out from where you are, to step into what God has for you now, to seize that divine moment. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 22. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. If you have our app, if you go to our app, uh, you'll see all my notes on our app. If you have a U version of the Bible, look for live events. You'll see TCC. Click on that, you get all my notes. Let me read, starting at verse 22. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent people home. Verse 23. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. So the first thing that we need to do, and we need to understand, when we talk about taking that divine step, having a faith that is in motion is this. If you're going to have a faith that's in motion, the first thing you have to be able to do is conquer fear. You have to deal with your fear. All of us, experience and we battle fear. All of us do. In fact, fear is one of the greatest tactics that the enemy uses to manipulate mankind, all of us. Fear derives its power from the worst case scenario. Have you ever been afraid? Have you ever been afraid of something that never came to pass? You know, some of you experienced the storms last night and you were afraid of what could be. And 99% of all the things that could be usually never come to pass. Now, all of us as humans, we have to deal with fear. In fact, these are some quotes. These are some people that have spoken about fear. Uh, Michel de Montaigne said this about fear. There is no passion so contagious as that of fear. Have you ever noticed how quickly fear spreads like a wildfire? Catherine Patterson said this. To fear is one thing. To let fear grab you by the tail and swing you around is another. Does that sound like our society today? Gripped around by fear, the philosopher Plato said this We can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. And then, who could talk about fear and not include the great philosopher Yoda <laughs> when he said this Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger, and anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. True words. Have you ever met anybody that was consumed by hate? Are they happy people? No. Not at all. Fear in the life of a person can be crippling and oppressive. Fear in the life of a believer can not only keep you bound and ineffective, but it can actually keep you from becoming the person that God created you to be. In fact, most believers today live bound by fear. We live for lesser things than what God promised us. We live in lesser ways than what God gave us. I love what Sarah Parrish said about about living your life trying to stay away from fear. She said this, living with fear stops us taking risks. And if you don't go out on the branch, you're never going to get the best fruit. You know what one of our challenges is today, beloved? We have decided to be satisfied with lesser fruit. We have shadows of the Christianity that we read about in the pages of the Bible. We've decided to settle for less. We've decided to settle for less than abundant life. God has more for us. Your faith is more than just rules and regulations. Your faith is living and breathing and powerful, and it was meant to change the world. That's what you signed up for. Not for dead, dry, cold religion. So how we approach fear is paramount, not just to who we are now, but who God created us to be, who we're becoming. Now, here's the thing about fear. All of us, at one point, we all encounter fear, so we all have to learn how to deal to it or deal with it. And and how you and I deal with fear shows us what's deep inside of us. How many of you went to college in this room? I'm sure all of you have college stories most of which you cannot speak of in this room today. Right? Depending on your college of choice. Now, I went to Southeastern University, and I went to Southeastern University in Florida to train to be, to be a minister of the gospel. Now, our paradigm in college is probably slightly different than yours at, at, at UD. Right? You, know, you may have had things that you did for fun back in those days. You know, what we did as ministers of the gospel, we had to kind of manufacture our own fun. So one of the things that we did, there was about 200 of us in Bower Hall. We, we we lived in that one main hall. Is we had this thing we would we would mess with each other spiritually every once in a while. I know, it's like a, a like a barrel of monkeys. We did this thing we called a demonization. Don't don't judge me. Don't judge me. We would wait till one of our classmates would fall asleep. We would slide into their dorm room and we would pretend like we were the enemy, and we try to scare them and then. We get a reaction from them after they sleep. I know it sounded great at the time, but it is not as great as it sounds like it is right now. So we sneak into somebody's room, somebody get on one of the sides of the bunk bed, you start to shake it. Somebody lay in front of the ground in total darkness, and they start to make, you know, ghostly, weird demonic sounds like woo. Somebody'd hide in the closet and we get and we call the name Timothy. We're here for you, Timothy. We're coming for you, Timothy. If everything worked out great, Timothy would wake up and scream, Ah, and roll over in his bed, and we'd say, mission accomplished. If it was a really good one, maybe he'd tinkle the bed. I don't know. But every once in a while, people would have different reactions. I remember the night we, we did the demonization thing with Preston. Preston was a guy a little bit bigger than me, but about my build. He was a tough kid from, I want to say Mississippi, which means he talked funny. Had hey, that Southern thing. And on that night, I was, I got to be the one that, that shook the bed. So I'm shaking the bed. It's moving. My buddy's on the ground going, woo. And got guy going, Preston, Preston. Preston woke up out of a dead sleep, stood to his feet, and started swinging. <laughs> he did. He started swinging. He says, I ain't got no time for you. And, and Jesus Christ, and I'm going, Preston, Preston, it's me. Preston, stop. Preston woke up. I said, Preston, what are you doing? He says, I'm not afraid of any devils. He goes, the same Jesus rose from the dead lives in me. He goes, devils are afraid of me. We stopped playing that demonization game that night. Preston got rid of it all. Here's my point. In the face of fear, Preston rose because of who was inside of him. Fear reveals what's inside of us. It does. You can tell a lot about your faith by how you react to fear. So in this passage, we see the disciples, and they're in the midst of a bad situation. They're in the midst of a storm. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of a storm? Maybe it's not a physical storm. Maybe it's a storm in your family. Maybe it's something happening in your job. Maybe it's something that happened emotionally. All of us have to learn how to navigate storms. Now, for the disciples, you know, to make matters worse, in the midst of this storm, they find themselves without Jesus. They're in a boat. Jesus is back in the hills. They don't know what to do. But then all of a sudden, in the middle of their situation, Jesus starts walking to them on the water. He starts showing up in a way that is slightly less than what they're used to seeing. When's the last time you saw somebody walking to you on the water? Next time you go to the pool, if a little kid starts walking to you on the water get out of the water. (laughs) Something bad is happening in the water, right? Because we know he ain't Jesus Christ, right? So they encounter Jesus in a way that they're not used to seeing them encounter him. By the way, God always loves to encounter us in new and unique ways. He always likes to mess with your box. Isn't it funny how we, the creation, love to dictate terms to the Creator? And how he can engage us, the things that he can say to us, the things that he's able to speak into our life. The clay speaking to the master artist. So the disciples, they encounter this. He shows up in a crazy way to remind us that he's God and we're not. He reminds us that we work for him. He doesn't work for us. He reminds us that we follow him. He doesn't follow us. So Jesus shows up to the disciples walking on the water, and the disciples, they can't comprehend this because they can't put into context what's going on, so they go to the closest thing they can think of. He must be a ghost. So everybody's freaking out in the situation until Jesus decides to speak, and he says this in verse 27. Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I'm here. Now, what's interesting is when you look at this passage, actually in the Greek, it reads... A little different. That word I am is actually ime, which makes the passage read like this. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am is here. Does that sound familiar? I am. Now that Greek word ime, I am, comes from the Hebrew word hava, which actually is the I am word used in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. When Jesus spoke to Moses from the bush, says, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is uh, to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. You say that to them. I am has sent me to you. Now, why did Jesus say it this way? Why didn't he just say, boys, I'm here. He said it this way to remind them once again of who he really was. I am the God of the universe is here to deal with your little storm. Beloved, I know your storm seems massive. And I'm sure it's a pretty big deal to you. But remember this. The God that we serve, you know those rings that are around Saturn? He put those there. You know that Mariana Trench that's seven miles deep? Do you know who knows what's under there? He does. He created the trench with his pinky pinky finger that's who we serve. He reminded the disciples, that's who you serve. Beloved, understand this. If you give God an opportunity to speak in your situation, the I am will speak into those things. And when the I am speaks, fear has to dissipate. We have this thing as believers. We call it pure, you know, we, we have peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense. When God comes into the room, all that anxiety, all that stuff dissipates. Why? I am takes care of all things. He said this in Isaiah forty don't be afraid I'm here with you don't be dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you I'll help you he said this in Psalm 34 4 I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears and John 14 27 says this I leave the gift of peace with you my peace not the kind of fragile peace given by the world but my perfect peace don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. What makes us be courageous? I am. The presence of I am. So, beloved, the next time you're walking through a storm, do me a favor. Give I am an opportunity to speak into your situation. Don't be so captivated by fear that you forget that you serve a God that created the universe. I am. God speaks into your situation, into your fears. You know what he does? He puts everything into proper perspective then. That's just what he does. So make it a practice of giving God an opportunity to speak into your fears. When you're afraid, don't pull back. Don't isolate. Don't get stuck in your head. You ever get stuck in your head? And that fear gets in you and it goes over and over and over and over. That's what we do. We dwell on worry, and we worry, and we worry. We replace worry with the word. Dwell on that and see how things change. I'll tell you what, guys. When the world started going crazy, you know what I did? You know, last few months, I dis- the last few years, I disconnected from my social media apps. I disconnected from all that stuff. And again, I'm not, I'm not t- telling you to go be Amish and go live on a farm. But what I'm telling you is this. Don't dwell on that, on that social media button. Dwell on the word. Trust me, if something bad happens, you're going to know about it, right? You will. Focus on the word. When you focus on the word, you give an opportunity for the I am to speak. When you pray, you give God an opportunity to answer and to, to settle your fears. Surround yourself with worship. Put worship on. Get closer to your brothers and sisters. When you worry, when you're afraid, the worst thing you can do is disconnect. Don't disconnect from God and don't disconnect from your brothers and sisters. Get close get close to the herd, baby. We're the herd. This big, weird, dysfunctional herd. But that's us. Get close. The closer you get to Jesus, the more fear wilts away. So this is what happens to Peter. In a moment, his fear is transformed into an opportunity of faith. This is how this works. Have you ever thought about this? You can't have a miracle without a problem. You ever thought about that? You can't know God as your provider unless you have a need. You can't know God as Jehovah Rapha, your healer, unless you're sick. So that's where Peter is. Peter sees this as an opportunity for faith. So look at verse 28. Let's pick up his story. says, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Have you ever prayed prayers that you didn't think through? (laughs) Peter could have prayed that prayer a bunch of different ways. Lord, if it's really you, just give me a thumbs up. Lord, if it's really you, maybe chuck a piece of that bread that you made when you did the loaves and the fishes. Maybe give me one of those and we'll call it good. Now, what does he say? Peter, the man of faith, if it's really you, Tell me to come to you walking in the water. What did Jesus say? He answered his prayer. Don't you hate it sometimes when Jesus answers your prayer? What does he say? Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and he walked in the water toward Jesus. What a great Can you imagine being there? What do you think the other disciples were thinking? Well, Peter's gone, more for us. We all knew Peter's going to do this someday, right? We just hope he wasn't going to do it in the wind and the waves. When it comes to seizing your divine moment, the first thing you have to do is you have to conquer your fear. The second thing you have to do is this, you have to activate your faith. You have to activate your faith. Now we see clearly in the life of Peter that this was the moment that Peter chose to step out of the boat and to activate his faith. The only way for Peter to activate his faith in that moment was for him to step out of the boat. What does the boat represent for you and for I? For Peter, we know what the boat was. In the midst of of, of, of the water, the boat was the safety. It was the only thing that was keeping him from certain death. His lifeline, all of it. But in order for Peter to activate his faith, he had to take a step. Everything in that boat was familiar. Everything in that boat humanly kept him together. How many of you know that you can't, do the things that God asks you to do with just human tools. You want to impact the world in a supernatural way that doesn't make sense, you have to step out of the boat. So he did. I'll tell you what, beloved, it's one thing to have God ask you to step out of your boat, to step out of your comfort zone. It's another thing for believers to actually do it. How often do we encounter God in a moving worship service or after a talk? And God gives us all these things. And how often do we hold those things in our heart? And if you just wait long enough, this too shall pass. And then we go back to our normal lives. It's those moments where we decide to step out of the boat that are exciting. Because again, if you want to you have a faith, you have to activate your faith somehow. And we activate our faith by taking a step. Nothing in your life happens that is destiny-filled or destiny-driven. Nothing in your, in your life happens that impacts the kingdom in crazy ways without taking a step. God always asks us to take a step. Why? Because faith activates faith. Our faith activates God's faith moving in and through our lives. If you never take a step of faith, if you're never willing to get out of the boat, you'll never encounter God in miraculous ways. You may catch a miracle here and there on the sideline, but God will never use you as a conduit to do what he wants to do. You have to take a chance. You have to step out of the boat. We see this process continue, this activation process continue in the life of Peter. So let's follow, you know, let's fast forward with Peter. Peter goes through all this stuff. Peter's the one Jesus renames him. And Peter is this guy that goes from mountaintop to valley, mountaintop to valley. We know Peter did all these great things. We also know that Peter denied Jesus. We know that Peter had these these great moments and these terrible moments. In all of it, Peter stayed constant. So Jesus comes back from the dead. He gathers his disciples. And he says, listen, guys, I got to go. But the Holy Spirit's coming, so I want you guys to go and to tarry for the Holy Spirit when He comes. You guys got it? And I'm sure all the disciples, yeah, we got this, we got this. You need the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, we need that Holy Spirit. Yeah, we know. And He's going to, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, we know. And Jesus goes and He's a what was it? You know, ah! So 120 of them go into the upper room and they pray. And they pray, and they pray, and they pray, not even knowing what to expect. They know the Holy Spirit's coming, but how could they have any context of what that meant? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes. God empowers them. They speak in tongues. And it's such a crazy thing that happens in the city that, that people start to gather and they're like, what is going on with these people? And in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this stuff, people making fun of them, one guy rises. Peter. Steps out of the boat again. This is Acts 2.14. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And Peter on that day preaches the first gospel message after Jesus is gone. And the Bible tells us this. Over 3,000 people come to Christ that day. Peter wasn't trained to speak. He wasn't trained to exegete the scriptures. He knew how to fish. And he followed Jesus. The thing that Peter possessed, which is what all we need to possess is this. He understood that if you want to activate faith, you have to step out of the boat. So he stood up and he spoke. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible tells us this. Peter's also the first one with John to walk into and and to actually see the first miraculous thing happen. Somebody get healed that we know of. Post-Jesus. It's one of my most favorite stories. Acts 3.1 says this. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part of the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Look at verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter recognizes his divine moment. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them, eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And look at verse 7. Then Peter took the lame man by by the right hand and helped him up. Now, two incredible things happen here. First, Peter has the guts to pray for this guy to be healed. Right? what keeps us from praying for people to be healed? But what if they don't get healed? As if the power to heal someone rests in your human spirit. How many of you know that we don't heal people? It's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that heals people. So that's the first moment. But he, then he did something that was nuts. He helped the guy up. How many of you know helping the guy up was an act of faith? Right? Faith activates faith, because we held that guy up, and his legs aren't, you know, okay, I think we got, it. ah! Not only does it not happen, but you injured somebody. Where did Peter ever see anybody reach down and help somebody up to strengthen him? He saw Jesus do this, with the crippled guy at the pool of Bethesda. As he was standing, because there's an element of faith here. The element of faith is Peter lifting the guy, and there's also an element of faith of the cripple saying, Okay, let's see what's happening. And he stands up, and Peter, and together, faith activates faith. You have a miracle. It says this, and as he did, the man's feet and his ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, he stood to his feet, and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Look at verse 9. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was a lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. Beloved, when you step out of the boat, you activate faith. Do you want to experience more of God's miraculous power? Step out of the boat. Do you want to experience more of what God has for you? Step out of the boat. Do you want to see more people healed, set freed, delivered? Step out of your boat. Stop complaining about people and pray for them. You know the best way to change somebody? You can't change anybody. Only God can change a human heart. That's why God said, pray for your enemies. Guys, we cannot change people's mind by our slick words. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. So let's do something crazy. Ready? Let him. Let him change them through you. How many of you want to see people, you want God to use you, see people healed, set free, delivered? You want to see people use you to move people from death to life? Then step out of the boat. Give God an opportunity to do that. Let God activate your faith. Faith activates faith. Say that with me. Faith activates faith. One more time. Faith activates faith. We are people of faith. We are people that bring the impossible into the human realm. That's just what we do. That's what you signed up for. Oopsie. It is. is. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says this. We live by faith, not by what we see with our own eyes, just our, our human eyes. You have to see beyond what's happening right now. We look into faith. Yesterday at 7 a.m., Amongst the rain, I had to not see just what was happening with my human eyes. I had to trust God and His Word, and I did. Yesterday, for once. Does anybody here struggle sometimes to to trust? i got plenty of faith for you. When it comes to the chunky Greek, it's a little different, right? Beloved, remember this. Even though faith for us is a spiritual act... We still live in this natural world. And sometimes this natural world can get the best of us. Why? Because we also see our world through natural eyes. Let's look and see how the rest of the story ends. Look at verse 30. When he, this is Peter, saw the strong wind in the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. How many of you know that you figure out really what's inside of you, not when the waters are calm? But when the waters are turbulent, when you don't know the end of the story. And sometimes what happens is this, guys. We, uh, in those times, we feel bad and we pull away from God. Because sometimes we think this, well, God saved me, and, and I screwed up, and I'm, I'm, I'm weak, and I'm doubting, and how could I come to him with this doubt? Because he's just not going to love me. He's going to turn me away. Understand this, beloved. God will never turn you away. God loves desperation. He does. Don't, you know, ascribe to him human characteristics like that. Hebrews tells us this, that we should boldly come to the throne of grace because there we find his mercy and his grace when we need it the most. So in the midst of, of Peter and all the troubles that he had, and he's thinking he doesn't know what to do, Peter makes really one great decision. He calls out to Jesus. Look at verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out and he grabbed him. He says, you have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. and The disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God. Do you ever thought that got old with Jesus? No, no. We kind of knew, but now we really know. I mean, the loaves and the fishes, hey, we're great, but now. Pff, I would have decided to you know, thrown them all over the side of the boat. Walk. Walk. I'll see you on the other side. Pray to guys no big fish around here, right? At some point, even after your mountaintop experience, life pushes back on you hard. It does. Conquering fear, stepping out into faith are not one-time experiences. It's not like I conquered fear, I did that. What's next on the list? You have to always learn to conquer fear. And know this, beloved, the older you get, the more things and people you have, the more things you have to lose, the different ways the enemy comes and attacks you with fear. Just the way that it works. Life kicks back and it pushes on us. So what do we do as believers when life kicks back up and once again we're gripped with fear? Now that's where you have the staying power of the gospel and you understand this. At that point, you have to remember what the promises were. That's why God gives you the promise. We conquer fear. We step out of the boat and we activate faith. And then when the enemy pushes back and he always pushes back, what do you do then? You hold on to the promises that God gave you. Now for Peter in this moment, it was simple. The wind and the waves started to go and he started to realize, dude, I'm walking on the water Humans don't do this. And he starts to sink. He starts to doubt. How do we know that he doubted? Because Jesus said, why did you doubt me? It's in that moment when you doubt, the best thing you can do is what what Peter did. You cry out to Jesus, Jesus, save me. And immediately, Jesus grabs him, and as they walk toward the boat, again, he asks Peter what he asks us, why did you doubt me? Beloved, it's doubt that makes us forget His promises. It's doubt that makes us question His power. It's even doubt that makes us question, could God really even love me? All that is from the enemy, doubt. It's doubt that even limits what we'll allow God to do through us. So when you find yourself in a place where it's hard to find your way, it seems like doubt and fear of winning... Take a page out of the life of Peter. Remember who Jesus is. Remember the promises that he spoke to you and cling to Jesus. Get as close to him as you possibly can. The closer you get to Jesus, the more the enemy and fear have to leave. The moment Jesus enters the room, fear dissipates. It goes. Even the fear of death. All the disciples less one were martyred, and we know from history, church history, they all died well. Not even death could stop them. Death can't stop you either. God created you to live forever. Let me introduce you to one of my friends. This is uh, Todd Scovern. I met Todd in Pittsburgh. I was at uh, a church on the north side of Pittsburgh, Remember the first day Todd came in. Todd was a, uh, uh, a talented electric guitar player. He's probably the best electric guitar player I've ever heard. He could play an electric guitar with his teeth. Did you ever try that? I haven't because dental work's expensive. <laughs> Todd always struggled with his worth because he had battled addiction. And he had these, um, these moments where he'd go from victory to why would God love me and victory to why would God love me. Well, eventually, through the years, God started to level Todd out and he started to actually believe that he was the person that God said he was. By the way, you are the person that God says you are. And, and it was beautiful. He started to grow in his faith. Well, God called us to another church, but I always stayed in touch with, with Todd. It was about a year after we left that Todd, uh, we'd call on the phone and we'd send emails that Todd called me he found out that he had, uh, he had leukemia, and he had these tumors that were growing in his body. And um, Todd sent me this email uh, shortly after um, he had discovered all these things that were happening. This is him to me. He said, uh, I'm going to have a bone marrow transplant this year, TJ, and soon my tumors are growing back, and I'm going in the wrong direction medically speaking. My narcotic intake, although minor, has been growing steadily these last few months. Don't get me wrong, I'm not on morphine, but this ain't aspirin I'm downing either. My brother Tim is a six out of six match, which I could not ask for a better suited donor. Many people do not survive because of complications brought on by donors that are not ideal, but medically necessary based on timing. Two out of 10 people don't make it through the first hundred days. Approximately 50% don't live to see three years. But 100% of every person that puts their trust in Jesus will live forever. So I'm not sweating the odds because I can move mountains. Please pray for my wife and my family members. They aren't in a relationship with the Lord. I think that God can bring many to him if I can show his strength at work in me. I usually keep it hidden under a bowl. For some reason, I'm getting this feeling that like God's about to take away the bowl or something. I don't know. Strange vision, I guess. says, I'll take you up on that sandwich with pleasure. We ate a lot. Well, I know that's shocking to you, but we didn't. Also, we'll once again draw guitars together and sing praises at the old rugged cross. I'm feeling prophetic today. Until we meet again, I love you, Todd. Todd passed shortly after he sent me this email. Todd held on to God's promises and Todd died well. He was a light for his entire family. I got to sit with his wife, Sarah, and his brother, Tim. I knew all of them. And the way he faced death was a testimony to them. Do you know why? He wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid. He knew who he put his faith and his trust in was faithful. And Todd's story is still being told Today. All of that for Todd started with a step of faith. He had to get out of his boat, and he did. Faith activates faith. So as I was praying for this week, I was like, Lord, what do you want to do today in our church? I know this is crazy. If we can figure out what God wants to do, my job is really easy. And I felt God spoke two things to me. The first thing he said to me was this, Today, I want to deal with fear. Some of you have lived in fear for too long. God wants to obliterate fear. For some of you, fear has been this rudder in your life, and God wants to take that thing, and he wants to exchange the fears that you live with for faith. You've lived in fear too long. You've been bound too long. God wants to set you free. That's just what he wants to do today. Stop yielding to fear. The second thing that God wants to do today is this. He wants to activate your faith. He wants to move you into your next season. But beloved, none of that happens without a step. You have to be willing to take a step to see yourself the way that Jesus does and to do what Jesus does. Step out of your boat. So we're going to do something crazy today. Stand with me. We're going to sing a final song. And as we sing this song today, I want you to embody it. If you struggle with fear, if you struggle with these things, let these words of the song, let these be a prayer that you can kind of lift up to God. And we're going to pray in faith as we sing this that God's going to set you free. After we get done, through it, the, the ministry team will be here. Man, if you need to pray and you need help to be free today, we're here to pray with you. Even in the midst of the song, if God puts on your heart to come to the front, you come to the front. Today's the day to take a step. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.